This TFMR podcast is brought to you by your friends at JM Bullion. Visit jmbullion.com for all your gold and silver bullion needs. Well, greetings out there to everybody at TFMR. It is uh, Thursday morning, the 2nd of February, Groundhog Day, (laughs) in more ways than one uh, in the precious metals, that's for sure. But it's time for your Thursday conversation. I've got a brand new guest for you uh, to to get you acquainted to. and, And you've heard me say, I don't even know how many times in all of my interviews thus far this year, that it is extremely important in 2023 that you have as many objective and reasonable and um, uh, a trustworthy source of information as you can come up with because mainstream stuff is going to try to throw you off uh, in the first half of this year and you really got to stay focused. And so in that effort of try, trying to find some objective independent sources for you, I reached out to a gentleman by the name of Jim Yorio. Now, Jim, uh, I, f- I first saw on CNBC and I think he's still a regular contributor there, but he's actually a veteran futures and options trader. He's a managing director at TJM Institutional Services in Chicago. And he runs something now called the Futures Edge Podcast, which we want to get into. But anyway, first and foremost, Jim, thank you so, for, so much for spending some time with me. Thank you for having me, Craig. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Well, and it's a, really a pleasure to make your acquaintance because anybody that can uh, be trading as long as you have and uh, not only still be alive, but still have your hair. <laughs> yeah, but the hair changed colors. It uh, does. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That it does. All right. Before we get started, again, explain your day job to everybody and your experience, but then let's talk a little bit about this podcast that you're now doing and where people can find it. Okay. So I, uh, I've i been at a member of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange for 30 plus years. I've been down on the trading floor for 35 years. Uh, my clients tend to trade interest rate products, but I have clients that are hedge funds and banks that trade throughout the commodity complex, equities, foreign exchange. And I then uh, concurrently trade those same things myself. So I'm I'm trading for and executing for, for hedge funds and banks, and I'm trading my own um, capital as well. I started trading my own capital probably about 20 years ago. And um, it's been a nice little symbiotic relationship, being a broker, executor, and a trader all at the same time. When I what I trade, I trade mostly um, uh, uh, index, you know, uh, equity index and metals. Um, those are my favorites, and foreign exchange. But my clients mostly trade interest rate products, which I do. I do on occasion put on interest rate um, interest rate trades as well. And you now are kind of branching out. Um, tell mm-hmm. everybody about this podcast and where people can find it because they're going to want to start listening. Okay. Um, you mentioned CNBC before and I've, I've part of ways with CNBC too. I, I think I okay. was a little too vocal and honest um, with a lot <laughs> of the, the news media, which by the way, like I, like they point, I, they knew that literally on my Twitter uh, bio, it says recipient of several broken noses due to an inability to shut up. I wasn't kidding about that. That's if you ask me my opinion, I will give you my opinion. They didn't always like my opinion, but anyway, Point is now I, I do some Fox business with my friend Larry Kudlow and uh, Charles Payne, and then I have my own podcast, and we, we do uh, work for uh, brokerage houses, too, to help people understand trading and the products that are available to them. But the Futures Edge podcast for all of 2022 was pretty much strictly trading, macroeconomic, down to technical analysis. Lately, we've kind of branched out some pop culture things, too. We just had that Dr. Robert Malone on last week. Yeah. Uh, if, if you know the name, many people do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a fabulous conversation. Doomberg, you know, the green chicken 
yep. on Twitter was a, a fabulous guest and unbelievable. So if anyone uh, wants to check it out, it's called The Future's Edge and it's on Spotify and on YouTube. Just subscribe. Is there a subscription or anything like that? Or you just subscribe I, I to the channel? I don't think so. That's that's Bobby's department, uh, Bobby Iacino. But I think you just go on Spotify, the free version, and search either my name or The Future's Edge and it pops right up. And uh, everybody here knows doc- who Dr. Malone is. Uh, and good, so I've, good. they'll probably want to go there just to listen to that to begin with. But then, oh my but, God, it was such a good conversation. I can't even imagine. I mean, yeah. well, I don't want to get sidetracked, but that has yeah, been. Yeah, yeah, no, biggest, let's talk markets. <laughs> that's been my biggest macro concern for the last 12 months as we get to a point where uh, the masses begin to realize more harm has been done than good. And then, well, that, that, and that could easily be. And yeah. you know, there are many smart people who believe that. And I don't. Like, it's so funny that people point a finger at you and I for saying and saying, why are you being political? What the hell is political about yeah, trying to right. figure out what this this these circumstances that have been thrust upon us, trying to figure out what it what it means and the way out? I don't find that that's policy, baby. I, that's not polit- political at all. I'll keep asking every question I can. Exactly. It, for your own good, which, again, gets back to as many independent and objective sources of information as you get. You've got to be thinking for yourself <laughs> when Amen. it comes to your finances, health, whatever. Uh, all, right. all right, Jim, I want to get your take on a couple of different things. Well, one, first and foremost, um, where we are here as the year begins. My forecast this year was that it was a lot like 2010 and 2019 years that began with, you know, oh, the Fed is austere. And they're going to be hiking rates and they're worried about their reputation and all this kind of stuff. And then as soon as the economy headed south in those years, oh, boy, here came the cuts. Um, and then, then the metals in particular rallied in the back half of those years. What is your current take, given what you heard yesterday out of uh, Powell, you know, whatever mutterances came out of uh, Lagarde today? What do you what's your current take on where we are? So my current take on, on um, Jay Powell and the Fed is this, is that they are not like his notion that you know, wagging his finger at us and saying, we're going to keep hiking, we're going to keep hiking. He knows just as much about what his intentions are as you and I know about what his intentions are. Because we're talking about a meeting that's 48 days away, which is extremely dynamic environment. Things are changing all the time. So if he thinks he can just be, yeah, no, no, we're hiking, he's out of his mind. And the market has told him that. The yield curve is you know highly inverted and got a little more inverted yesterday with negative 70 base points between the twos and tens. That's the market telling to him, you're full baloney. And you can't, by the way, can I swear on your podcast? This podcast, because sometimes my mouth goes, I'm going to try as hard as I can. Okay, 100%. Good. So, okay, good. So I think he's full of crap and the market thinks he's full of crap and the market is telling him so. And that's why the stock market has rallied. And that's why the metals market rallied yesterday, but the metals market has hit a point. I, I, you know, I know that we talk on Twitter all the time, too. And back in October 13th, I gave a speech at the New Orleans Investment Conference where it was about copper primarily and secondarily gold and silver and back to the metals trade. And the fundamental thesis behind that was that the Fed is beginning to slow down. Whether you think there's another 25 or you don't, nobody thinks there's another 75 coming. We don't have an economy that can withstand those high of interest rates. So they will be pausing shortly whether it, they could have already paused and china coming back online i thought was going to be a primary driver of copper as well those trades have worked out beautifully mm-hmm. that being said this is thursday groundhog day at what what 11 15 chicago time and both gold and silver have had fairly ominous technical signs uh that could be forcing me to hedge to the downside if a couple things happen like if gold has had an outside day down today it looks like again the market's not is not over yet but if then uh, gold trades poorly tomorrow as well, I probably will put on some downside hedges. 
if silver trades below 2250 tomorrow and silver shot higher early in the morning and then completely lost its bid. So the beauty from the technical analysis point in my mind, and, and just stop me, Craig, if I'm no, just keep rambling, I'm sorry. No, no, no. But, you know, it shot up and put that level in and then it's fallen off and is now lower on the day. Silver is if that uh, trades poorly and then closes back behind 22 and uh, below 22 and a half in the futures, I think it becomes a sell in the short term. Again, I'm, I'm not keeping, I mean, I'm not getting rid of my core positions in copper, silver, gold, and um, platinum. My belief is that, the Fed is going to be paused. Um, I think the dollar uh, should should lose some ground. Uh, that 101 level is big to me. And again, the dollar popped back above it today as the gold reversed. So I'm watching the dollar and the metals markets. You know, and I guess, Jim, that's what the next thing I want to ask you about, because had I moved to uh, Chicago and uh, tried to get a job at the Board of Trade in 1988, we probably would have started about the exact same time. It sounds about, you said, 35 years ago. Um, 87 for me, I would have been a year ahead of you, right? So, brother, you've seen it. I mean, it used to be all open pit, you know, carbon-based human beings doing the trading. And there may have been some connection to the actual physical underlying market uh, to some of this. What what drives me crazy and what drives a lot of people on my site crazy is the, 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 the really almost like an algo-driven trade where the dollar went up today because the euro went down after Lagarde. And then the machines just, you know, just, drop everything, you know, bought all the, all the stuff they bought yesterday and they dump it right back. And in the end, I almost end, we're trending toward, and we're not there yet, but we're trending toward what I always call one universal chart where you've got the risk off, you know, thing like the dollar or maybe even the bond market. And then the risk on stuff that almost all ends up looking the same on an intraday or even, you know, longer basis. What do you, how frustrating it now? Am I right? Do you see that? I guess I should start there. But then if you do see it that way, how frustrating is that 35 years later to be trading against machines all the time? Well, first of all, you're 100% right. And the correlations, everything trades off the Fed, the dollar rates. That's the dog. Everything else is the tail. Or is that if I said yeah. that correctly? I think you know no, what I mean. The tail so, and everything else is the, yeah. No, I got right. you. Yeah. So and you know Larry Kudlow and by the way, I'm not above name dropping. Larry Kudlow and I have had a running argument for about 15 years where he always says that profit company profits are the mother's milk of stocks, and I say nonsense. I say right. the mother's milk of stocks fed liquidity. So to your point, there is the one universal chart, and it's about Fed injecting money or Fed taking mm -hmm. money away, and federal government spending, and the the dollar. The, you know, the dollar couldn't be, let's call that the linchpin in this whole thing. But trading against the computers is interesting. Like I've, I, I actually, as far as like being a day trader goes, I've moved kind of away from that. I, I like my trades to be option-based and to be um, based like a couple week time frame. That's where I've been making my most money. And I think the reason is, is from the, the algos that you mentioned, it's very, very difficult to go up against them because they know you better than you know you. They know where your emotions <laughs> yeah. will come in. They yeah. know where you, they may know where you put your stop. And when I say no, they don't yep. know for sure. I'm not pointing a finger and blaming any exchange. I'm not, that, that may, may or may not be true, but I'm saying they know where you, they look at the same chart you do. So it's very, very difficult. There's so many times where I've said in, like right now, I have a take profit and a stop in that I just put in the equities. I sold some just because the dollar was rallying. Uh, gold and silver were breaking, but stocks were still um, persistently high. So I put in, they know where I put my stop. My my stop was at the new hourly high. I, mm -hmm. it, hopefully this doesn't air right now because some algo is going to pop it in and like, <laughs> blow my stop out. But uh, it's very, very difficult. And back when, um, when it was carbon-based humans, as you put it, which I think was a good way to put it, it was... Um, 
it was much, it, it wasn't like you were fighting the algos every day, which yeah. can get extremely frustrating. Well, and again, like today, uh, straight up yesterday, straight back down today, no real fundamental change in the picture, right? I mean, yeah, it's right. uh, the Fed is still pausing and going to be reversing ultimately, and as is the ECB, which is weakness in fiat currency across the board, right? But the machines just, and I guess some aggressive traders too, see an opportunity to run price up and then run it back down. Do you, do you instead, Jim, have you found it more? And I'm I'm not trying to suppose what you're doing. I'm I guess I'm gonna, I'm phrasing this as a question: Is it more beneficial to have a core po position or a core belief over a period of time, and then kind of piecemeal in and out of it, or hedge against it, or whatever, rather yeah. so that you don't get caught wrong-footed all the time? There's no question about it. And and the game becomes trying to figure out what the big institutions, what their desire is, and being on the right side with them. That's why technical, you know, my core position in the metals stemmed from a fundamental belief. There were some technical levels that had to be taken out before I started to establish that position, um, but it's a blend of fundamental and technical. And then if you take a 30,000 foot view of it, then you're much less likely to get punched in the throat by the algos who are mm -hmm. trying to take you out of every position on the short term. And that's what I've been trying to do more of. Now, I, I still day trade and I still enjoy day trading, but I have reduced my sizes on day trades and I put bigger sizes on um, for the multi-week option trade. Yeah. Like, like a, I don't know how much you know about options, but I really favor like broken call flies that favor upside to uh, replicate a long position in different things. And the same for puts on the downside. And I would explain those if you wanted to, but that might be too in the weedsy for the audience, right? Yeah, I, I I think what most people do on my side, you know, they're like me. They're like, I'm just not going to fiddle around. Uh, in the casino because uh, so many times the house ends up winning, especially, you know, as especially on COMEX options that we get closer to expiration, that sort of thing. Um, Amen. But for people that like, yeah, yeah, there are definitely people on my side, and I'm sure people listening to us that might, you know, get an inkling, you know, to trade uh, calls or puts on, you know, something like the SLB. Are there... I don't know. Are there some strategies you can share, some thoughts you might share well, sure. you know, that might make so, it a little more so successful? For, yeah, for rookies or for um, you know, beginners at trading options. So you don't, if you don't want to get too deep into figuring out what um, you know volatility is playing into different option prices, you can just buy a call spread because then you're buying and selling. Um, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, and then and then you don't have to worry too much about what the vol is. Things like that. So I would always start with and you're you're defined. Like if you bought two months out a 25, 26 silver call spread, you know, so you you could make a buck. And the silver it, at the CME, those contracts are big. So you'd have to do that equation, what it is in the SLV to make it more to your taste for risk tolerance. But the most you can lose is what you paid for that call spread. And the yep. most you can gain, unfortunately, is when that call spread fills out, what it's worth minus what you paid for it. But something like that is always good. What I do is like what I call, say a call fly is I'll buy that call spread, I said, and then sell a call spread above it. Um, again, so like if okay. I own the 20, this is not something I have on, but I would buy like a 25, six, six and a half call fly. That means you're long the 25 to 26 call spread and you're short the 26 to 26 and a half call spread, which means so you're long a full dollar and you're short a 50 cents one. So that's a very, very directional play because even if silver goes to the moon, you still make the bigger call spread and lose the half as big call spread. So you're still making a half. Did that right. make sense, Craig? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, good. Okay, good. And those are things yeah. we've talked about here. And I, and, and again, oh, what you're more interested in is a more consistent, smaller gains than swinging for the fences. Exactly. And I think whenever I swing for the fences, then emotion gets to hold of me. And that's, and that's right. as someone who trades every day, trying to learn what <laughs> you'll know as soon as you have too big a trade on when you're like, oh, crap. Yeah. This goes against me right now. I'm losing what I made in the last two weeks. And that happened to me yesterday. I had a couple of these way imbalanced call flies on. And then all of a sudden I looked and I was in the money by, by hundreds of ticks. And I was like, okay, I could take these off or I could let these roll. And I'm like, it's too much to risk. So I took the trade off and the trade literally tripled in value by the end of the day when the stock market exploded higher. This was, mm -hmm. this was in the S&Ps. And so I, I went home having made money and thinking to myself, gosh, I just left, you know, instead of tripling it, I just made it, you know, a couple bucks. I paid for parking and lunch, but that meant my position was too large for me and it made right. me sweat too much. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I've always, as a trader myself, I've always lamented more the ones that got away from me that I didn't profit on more than the losses that I took. Amen. It's so weird. And I, I did profit on this trade. Right. I made money and I'm like, I should be happy, but not. Yeah. Precisely. And, you know, and, and I always, that's always challenging too in, in managing that emotions is that options make you do the opposite of what you should do. You usually let your losses run and cut your profit short when it should be the other way around. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a hard thing for too people. Much build up. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and this is, this is all part of why, again, unless you're experienced, got a good experienced broker, um, you know, these, this is just, it's almost designed to take your money. Um, not unlike a casino. I, I think there's no question of that, that it's designed to take your money. And the algos are there to feast on you. Yes. So if you are not up to the challenge on a daily basis, you could be contributing to, <laughs> contributing to the ecosystem, well, not taking from it. <laughs> what what it, What's the old line? You know, if you don't recognize the sucker at the table, then you're the sucker. <laughs> that is my favorite from the movie Rounders. And he said, if in a half hour you haven't identified who the sucker is, you are the sucker. I use you it all are. the time. If, yeah. if you don't know what's for dinner, then you're what's for dinner. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. In my remaining time, Jim, um, what what are your faves? Not necessarily right now, but kind of you mentioned copper. Uh, it has moved up strongly back above four. I mean, what are your what are your faves and kind of macro themes uh, supporting those faves as we go through the year? Okay, so my Mac, my the the biggest fave that I have is copper still. Even okay. though I think if if gold and silver take it on the chin, technically, you know, as as part of positioning over the next couple of weeks, I'm fine with that. If copper trades back above four thirty five and settles up there, I will be adding to already decent long position copper. The thesis behind it is that you know we had a, a year of the Fed tightening and the dollar screaming higher. I believe that's over. I believe China's uh, reopening with fits and starts. Um, is uh, is going to happen and be and be smooth at some point in time. For God's sake, I hope so. And uh, I don't know if you noticed that both China and Japan uh, injected liquidity into the system over the last week or so. Yep. So if they if they still keep throwing money into the system, I think that could affect certain things more than others. And I think copper's number one on that list. Uh, you, you, other commodities, uh, equities, you look for them to keep going or what? Are, are yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm still bull in equities. I want to settle this week above 4,100 will give me, um, a little bit more of a shot in the arm, but I'm a bull on, on equities. I think we are probably going into a recession. I think the recession mm -hmm. from a macro standpoint is probably already here for half the, 
half the population in this country. If you just looked like, um, you know, delinquent car payments have gone to almost right. a record high. I think that there's a lot of people suffering. And I think the Fed may have to to um, to shift the rhetoric relatively quickly. Now, it's so funny is that it is such a hard uh, case for me to make when I tell people like, oh, yeah, I'm bullish the stock market because I think the economy's crap. A lot of times people don't understand that, but I stand by that. And that's a hill that I'll die on if you're someone like me who believes that so many of these assets are just propelled higher by Fed liquidity. So the missing step in that example is that the economy is could be going into recession, which means then the Fed has to change its tune and change it fast, which means it throws money to the system, which ends up in risk assets. Uh, so the stock market ends up doing better. I hope that that makes sense to people. Nope, absolutely. No, that's, I think that's consistent with everything we discuss here at TF Metals Report yeah. every day. I, you, you mentioned uh, your buddy Kudlow. I mean, he's kind of stuck in the pre-2009 paradigm. Yeah. Well, yeah, but he, he but we, he's a smart guy. Oh, and sure. he agrees that I have some validity to my argument at this point in time. He just knows he's such a, uh, he, he says it like he wants it to be. He wishes it was... <laughs> you know, that profit drove it. He wishes that it was right. King Dollar, you know what I mean? And, and right. oftentimes it's not as easy as that, but he's a very, very principled man and a, and a great guy in my opinion as well. Yeah. I, and again, it's just that everything changed in March of 2009. That's that's the new no. paradigm. As soon as QE it, began. Exactly. And, that, is, that is a very, very perceptive um, way to put it too. As soon as QE began in earnest, I think it, it was a quarter of the way there prior to 2009, but then all of a sudden it was like all bets are off. Amen. Yeah. Which is why, like 2010 and like 2019, the Fed will choose the economy uh, and liquidity versus whatever they want to say integrity. They, ha- they have they... to. Yeah, it's one to thing it. to say to say you're so tough and you're going to be so tough. It's another thing to do it when things are falling apart. And I just right. don't believe they have the backbone for that. That's exactly right. Uh, all right, Jim Urio, uh, managing director. TJM Institutional Services in Chicago, veteran trader and host of this new Futures Edge podcast. I encourage you to check it out. We're going to put the link on this page so you can subscribe and start. How often are you guys putting out some content, Jim? Once a week. On the first Friday of every week, which is this one, we do a, it's our technical analyst who works with Bobby and I. And actually, those are the ones that I learn the most on. Sure. I would imagine every, I mean, again, can't stress this enough. Get as much quality, independent, objective information as you can in 2023. And I'm sure that podcast should be right up there with the rest of it. Jim, all I ask is that we can do this again sometime. Oh, I'd love to. Thanks, Greg. It was a lot of fun. Great visiting with you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll try to have another Thursday conversation for you next week. Mm -hmm.